when we came to Florida a couple of years, a year and a half ago, I didn't expect to be back here a year and a half later. You wait all your life to go to Florida, then you come back a year and a half later. But I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to see all you folks that are here. And that's, I don't know why I go around asking people's names because I shake hands in your name and I get the name. And I see, you know, some folks remember faces, some remember names, and I remember neither. In fact, we went to this assembly a number of years ago in Ontario, in Kitchener, Ontario, near Toronto. We were going to be there for a few months. So I'm at the back door saying, hello, how are you? And I met this man who was this tall. And I said, in your name, and he said, Mr. Butt. I thought, hmm. Then, then a little later, I was over on the other side of the building, and I met this other brother, and I said, and what's your name? And I thought it was strange. He said, well, Mr. Butt. And I thought, most people don't interest, uh, introduce themselves as Mr. Butt, but so there's two Mr. Butts. And then later, we're downstairs after the service, after a service or two, having, having coffee. And I saw this other man that was different than the other ones. And I said, and what's your name? And he said, Mr. Butt. And I said, how many Mr. Butts are there in this church here? And he said, just one. <laughs> so that's how much I, I remember. It was, and so now we go back there and I always recognize Mr. Butt. I will tell you that. And I'd like to read tonight, please, in 1 John chapter 5. The verse was already quoted here earlier by somebody. 1 John chapter 5, and we'll read verse number 13. John writes here in 1 John 5 and verse 13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And I really want to try and get across to us tonight that we can know that we have eternal life. Second Timothy, for another verse, chapter 2, verse number 19. Second Timothy 2 and verse number 19. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows them who are his. So we read in First John that I can know. And here we find out that God knows those that are his. And then finally in Matthew chapter 7. And verse number 15. Matthew 7 and verse 15. In Matthew 7 and verse 15 says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. So I get from the first place we read that I can know that I have eternal life. In 2 Timothy 2.19 we read that God knows those who have eternal life. And here I take this verse to mean that you and I, and others will know those who have divine life by their fruit. You shall know, you shall know them. And, and in this world, the Bible tells us there's a lot of deceivers have gone out into the world. 
and you don't have to look very far around to find them. And you'll find them out there doing all kinds of things to make their mark in the world and to make their money. And you find that the magazine you'll pick up that you can send away, I don't know, $39.95 and get some wrinkle remover. And you can get all kind. you can get some hair restorer. And I've looked at that at $59 and I think, man, maybe I should. I haven't so far, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who've gone out into the world and there's a lot of deceivers that have gone out there convincing people that uh, there's things that you can have and they're deceiving you. But the greatest deception that as far as I can see has ever swept across the face of planet Earth and has come to the minds and thinking of a lot of people, and we all meet them every day we meet them, that it's impossible to know where you will be after you die. And somehow it sounds reasonable. You know, a person lives their life and the future and there's death and you're looking ahead and nobody can know. So, yeah, that sounds reasonable and nobody can know. But I can say this. The Bible tells us how we can know. There was a day in my life when I didn't know. But I'm thankful to tell you today that 50 years ago in 1958 in October, I found out for the first time why Jesus Christ died at Calvary and took my sins upon himself as if they were his very own and went to the Calvary's cross and there he suffered and bled and died and has been growing more precious to me as the years go by. And I can say this along with others that are gathered here tonight, that it is possible for you and me to know for absolutely sure. My, I'm thankful the older I get for a heritage that I have where grandparents heard the gospel and how they responded to the gospel. My grandparents came, my grandfather came from England about 1908 or 1907 or something like that, settled in southern Ontario, not far from Detroit, and farmed, religious. He was very proud that at 26 years old became a, an elder in the Anglican church. And my grandmother and he tried to live their religion. In fact, they were so devout. They didn't polish their shoes on Sunday. And they wouldn't, my grandma wouldn't cook a hot meal on Sunday. And they wouldn't whistle on Sunday. All kinds of things they wouldn't do on Sunday. Because they were going to be the best ones in the church. And they hired a, a man. His name was Bob Sisson to work on the farm one fall. And Bob came along and he turned out to be the total opposite of what they were. An ungodly, cursing, swearing man. And one day my grandmother says to him, Bob, you know, if you don't smarten up and if you don't change your ways, you're surely going to, you might, you might even go to hell. She didn't know why anybody went to hell, but she thought maybe he was bad enough. And he said to her, Mary, you have a, a Bible? Well, she got out the family Bible that they had that they never read. And he started to look through the Bible and he looked here and there and he finally found the place he was looking for in John chapter 3. And he said, just look at this verse. Except a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And he said, Mary, I'm going to hell and I know it. And you're going to he- going to hell and you don't know it. And she was absolutely furious. But Bob had been working for a Christian farmer up the road and he had come down and started working on their farm and they argued and fought all that winter about that great subject and finally 
grandma and grandpa, they invited the Anglican priest to come for lunch one day, and he came. And they asked him after they had lunch, is it possible for somebody to know where they will be after they die? And the man said, it's an absolute impossibility. Nobody can know. They've been told that all their life. Nobody can know. Oh, and you do your best and then you hope. My grandfather said to him, well, we were at the funeral the other day of so-and-so, and you preached the sermon, and you said that he was a good father, and he was a good provider, and a good neighbor, and a good church man, and now you said he's with the Lord. Didn't you say that? And yet you're telling us in health and strength that we can't know. Well, I'm thankful that they began to search the Bible seriously and met other Christians along the way that God brought them in contact with. And two years after Bob Sisson first showed my grandmother that truth, my grandfather was saved standing at the back of a gospel hall after a gospel meeting. And my grandmother got saved a few nights later standing by the kitchen sink. And she used to show us many, many times. She said, I was standing right here, cranking the old pump, putting some water into the sink, realizing that I was going down the drain just like that water was running down. And she said, standing there that day, I realized why Jesus died. And it changed their life. It changed their thinking. And so I'm thankful that my grandparents heard the gospel and how they responded and how their children were saved. And my father saved and mother. And so I heard from as young as I can remember. But still, there came a time in my life When I had to respond to the same truth, could I know? And for years, I didn't know. But I can, I think I can say this truthfully. There never was a time in my life when I wouldn't have liked to know. Now, it wasn't priority. And it certainly wasn't the most important thing in life. But still, I really wanted to know. And I struggled to find out how I could know for sure. Sometimes you'd hear of somebody giving their testimony and they would say that I was reading a verse or I saw this in a certain verse. And so when they would speak, I would turn over the corner of the page of my Bible and I'd go home and down in my bedroom. I'd look at that verse and I'd think, I don't know what they can see in that because it sure didn't make any sense to me. Maybe it made sense to them, but it didn't make any sense to me. And maybe there's somebody here tonight. I don't know yet. But maybe you're wondering, how is it possible to know? It's like one time in a bank. I stood in the lineup. And here was a little boy. He had a paper bag. And he's standing with his mother. And he's shaking the paper bag. And he was looking in it. And he'd pull out a dollar bill. And he'd say, Grandma gave me that for my birthday. And pull out a quarter. And it was from the tooth fairy. And finally they get up to the to the counter. And the mother took the little guy, set him up in the on the desk beside the wicket where the lady was. And she took the money, counted it all out, and uh, took a little blue book. It was in the Royal Bank of Canada, and they used blue books. She took that little book, stuck it through the machine, and came out. And the boy left his money with that lady. And she kept the paper bag. And the boy had the book. And if you hadn't met that little guy walking out the bank, said, son, stop me. Hey, stay. hold on here. Where's your paper bag? Oh, it's back there. Well, where's your money? Well, it's back there. Well, son, how much money have you got? Well, he could say, I got $13.65. Well, how do you know? Could be a bunch of crooks in there. Probably they are. Seems evident they are. But, uh, you know, you... 
little guy, where, where's your, you know all he has to show you is a little blue book that shows you how much money he's got in the bank. Well, I can say this. The only way that you and I can know that we're going to heaven is by black ink on white paper. And it tells us the truth of the word of God. How it's possible for a person to know for sure. You see, in the Bible, it's got 1,189 chapters. Uh, King James Version, if you're reading that one, has got 3,566,480 letters in it. And so there's all that. And it's all written down. It's God-breathed. It comes from the God of heaven. And God in that book is telling us how we can know for absolutely certain how you can know. It's amazing what people rely on and have confidence in. You can probably go up the street somewhere around here and find Joe's old greasy spoon restaurant and go in and sit down at this table and they will bring you a menu with some old ketchup and mustard on it and dog-eared and twisted and turned and you read the thing and you think I'll have a hamburger and I'll have some fries and the lady or the man or the waiter comes and takes your order and they go away and your friend comes in and says, what are you having? Well, I'm having a hamburger and I'm having some fries and I'm having a Coke. I don't know anything about the people back there. Could be a guy, could be drunk. Maybe he didn't even come to work this morning. And and you don't know a thing. You don't even know if they can read. And yet you trust an old menu. And you trust the person that goes back in the back there and you expect them to bring out your hamburger and your fries and your Coke. And somehow you have confidence in people. But what about the Bible? And this book is the only thing we can rely on. And for those who believe this book, it's a tremendous book. Because in this book, you'll find out how, like, how do you know that God created the heaven and the earth? Well, the Bible says so. And how do you know that there was a day when man by the name of Noah built this great big ark and all these animals went in the ark and the world was destroyed? And How do you know that? Well, the Bible says so. Like, how do you know that one day there was a man riding on his donkey? And I've loved this story for years. How that donkey stopped and the man riding on the donkey had a discussion with the donkey, Balaam. And he talked to his donkey. And they had quite a conversation. And it, he didn't even seem surprised. Like, that's a pretty preposterous story. But you believe it. Why? The Bible says so. And you can go farther through the book and you'll find a day when Daniel was put in the lion's den and all kinds of stories that are precious to those who read and believe the Bible. How do you know what God thinks about sin? Well, the Bible tells us that God hates sin. He doesn't look lightly upon it. And you find out that sin separates us from God. How do we know that back in Eden's garden, one sin... And really, whatever way you look at it, human beings today, we all, we think, well, that's a pretty minor sin. I mean, they, so like people say, they ate the apple. Well, that's pretty, not very serious, we think. And yet that one sin caused Adam and Eve to be separated from God, put out of God's presence. Now, how do we think that we can get back into God's presence when we've got millions of sins? 
So many lies and so many deceitful things and thoughts. You know, I read some time ago, well, quite a while ago, that the average person on an average day speaks enough words to fill an average-sized book if they were all written down. Maybe some windbags would fill two or three books. And the average person on an average day thinks enough thoughts if they were all written down to fill ten books in a day. And they do enough things, you and I do enough things with our hands, according to those who study it, and they say we would write, do enough things if it was all written down to fill four books a day. That's 15 books a day of words, thoughts, and deeds. Know what that is? Enough to fill 15 to 20 college libraries in a life of 75 years. All those thoughts and words and deeds, all written down. How much sin is mixed into all that. What a vast amount of sin. Unbelievable. I mean, can't even begin to fathom what's involved. And God knows it all. But how do we know the greatest thing in the Bible? How do we know about Jesus? That he ever came into this world in love and compassion and went to a cross and died? How do we know that? Well, the Bible tells us so. And we can only rest on what this book says. It's never changed. And it stands firm. And it's going to stand through the endless eternal ages. And this book tells us what God did with all of our sins. He took every one of our sins, all of my sins. And one night, lying in my bed, I could take you to the very house, 1393 Murphy Road in Sarnia, Ontario. Eleven kids in our family. So we didn't all have our own bedroom. Three brothers in one room. Paul was sleeping there. Philip in a little bed there. And I was in the bed underneath the window. About 10 o'clock on a Saturday night. It suddenly, after struggling with it all for days, it suddenly clicked into my mind. You know something? When Jesus died, he took all my sins upon himself. And he was punished for all of my sins. And I can tell you there was such relief of soul and heart. Such relief that I thought, isn't that unbelievable? Some people say, well, they thank God. Other people say that they, whatever they did. But for me, I turned over and went to sleep. I thought, this is so great. And it is, can tell you this, I appreciate it far more today than I ever did that day. But how do I know? Because the Bible tells me that Christ died for the ungodly. It tells me that all of my sins were laid on him. It tells me that he carried them in his own body on the tree. It tells me that he put them as far as the east is from the west. So far as he removed our transgressions from us. How can I know? The Bible tells me so. And we can just simply read this verse. And sometimes I ask people, tell me, how do you know that God loves you? Well, for God so loved the world. Isn't it amazing? They know that. What about the rest of the verse? That whosoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. It's a great thing to know. And you can know. And you can rely on it for absolutely certain. But we read that I know if I'm saved. Then we read that God knows. And it's a great thing that God knows. I'm thankful that, that God knows. We think of how 
weak. And our brother mentioned earlier here that you and I can have a, a personal relationship with the God of eternity. Like, I know you're not Canadians, so I have to be careful what I say. But really, in Canada, if I got like a envelope, gold embossed envelope, and on the top, I don't even even heard of this place, but Buckingham Palace, Queen Elizabeth. And then I opened this gold embossed thing up and it said you're invited to a tea party with Queen Elizabeth on June 15 in the, in the garden of the Buckingham Palace. Huh, I tell you, I'd think, wow, to actually go and talk to the Queen? So I'd probably go down and take etiquette courses, learning how to stir tea and drink tea and eat biscuits with the queen. And so I'd go through all this just for the queen. And yet you and I can have a personal relationship with the God of eternity. It's a most amazing, a most remarkable, a most unbelievable thing that we can have a relationship with the God of heaven and can actually come to know him on a personal basis. It's a most it's a most tremendous thing. And God knows everyone that belongs to him. We lived for two years in the West Indies in St. Lucia. A number of years ago, our children were young then. And uh used to take the children and my wife. We'd walk up the side of a valley. And it was a pretty rough, mucky, hot, wet area. And you come into this little community and you'd come to a little house and there was a lady there we'd visit some other christians in that little community there's a lady there her name was mrs bailey and it was the most amazing thing our kids have never forgot it and our oldest daughter is 42 now and she'll still mention mrs bailey and mrs bailey didn't know if it was morning noon or night and she couldn't have told you her name the neighbors told us that she had never been to the end of the island in all her life she didn't know anything. She didn't know if it was dark or light. She lived in a little hut that had wooden shutters on it. The neighbors and the Christians looked after feeding her. But ah, she was one remarkable woman. Because you'd go in there and say, hi, Mrs. Bailey, how are you today? And she'd say, did I ever tell you how God saved me? And she'd go through and tell you about Mr. Brown coming from Toronto and preaching the gospel up over the library. And it was the year of the big fire, she'd say. And she'd tell us how she went to those meetings and how she found out she was a sinner and found out Jesus. Tell you just so clear. And then you'd be there another minute and she'd say, did I ever tell you how God saved me? She'd go through the whole thing all over again. But you know, Mrs. Bailey finally went to be with the one who saved her. I've sometimes wondered, did Mrs. Bailey ever forget? <laughs> I don't know. I doubt it. But maybe she did. I don't know. Do you think it made any difference if she forgot? Wouldn't make a particle of difference. Because we read in the Bible, God knows them that are his. And this tremendous truth that God knows them that are his. And you and I can receive this great knowledge, this great truth, by simply accepting and trusting and receiving the gift that God offers. It's the gift of everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord, and it's the greatest gift that a person can ever receive, the gift of knowing sins forgiven. Gifts are a great thing. We were leaving a place after having worked there for a few years, and we were moving away, and there was a girl, Kathy Forbes, Kathy was a pretty rough lady. 
God saved her when she was 40. And when we were leaving, she gave us a gift certificate for a very, what do you call it, fancy restaurant, dining lounge, I guess you call them. You know, the kind where you go in there and the, what do they call them, the matre d' or something? And they always have this white rag over their arm, nice, nice white cloth, and they take you to their table and pull a chair back for the lady and sit you down and go through all this detail. And so we go in and the menu was like unreal. And so we, we ate. And after we enjoyed all this meal, we thought, I hope this gift certificate's good. And took out the gift certificate when they brought the bill and gave it to him. And nobody said, thank you very much. That was it. What's God looking for? The God that wants a relationship with you and I. He's looking for you and I to say, thank you very much. He's looking for you and I to receive the gift of eternal life. It's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and you can know it. And God knows it. And it won't be very long before the people in the community will know that there's something different in your life. Others will know that you have eternal life. That Kathy Forbes that I mentioned, she was one wild, wild woman when we met her. Forty, well, we met her when she was about 38 or 39 and she could have passed for 60 easy. And she was in rough shape, drinking and carousing and partying and the bars. And she was on the far end of it all and sick right up to here with the whole thing. And she came to hear the gospel. And God in his rich grace saved Kathy Forbes. She's a trophy of the grace of God, to say the very least. And uh, she had lots of health issues and still has. You can't live a life like that, I guess, and not have health issues And she has lots of them and still has. And she's been saved now for 15 or 17 years, maybe. Shortly after she was saved, she went to see the doctor, but whatever. He looks her over and checks her out. And after he checks her out and she's just about to to leave, he says to her, Kathy, what's happened to you? She said, what do you mean? Well, he said, I don't know, Kathy, but you're different. She said, like, uh, what do you mean different? Well, she said, you're just not the same Kathy Forbes that I've been dealing with. She, He was a doctor from her parents, like, all her life. Not the same Kathy Forbes that I've known. And she said, you got a minute? And he sat down, and she sat down, and she told the doctor what had taken place in her life. She hadn't said one word. But he saw something. It's like those wise men that came to see our Lord Jesus when he was, well, he was in a house by the time they arrived. And the Bible says of them, well, it's because of Herod wanting to know where Jesus was. But the Bible says of those wise men, they went back another way. It's a great thing. Saved to go back another way. To live a different life. To go a different path. Oh, it's, I know it's not perfection. I look back over 50 years and I'm ashamed of things I've done, said, thought. And I wish sometimes things were different. But I can tell you this. It sure isn't the same as it would have been if I had never known the Lord. I've gone back another way. Gone another direction. Gone another way. And you can know that you're saved. And God knows them that belong to him. We read here that by their fruits you shall know them. In 
March the 8th, 2003. I know the date. It was two days before my wife's birthday because she was, her birthday is March the 10th. We were living in Lethbridge, Alberta. Now I know talking to a bunch of Americans, Never even know that Canada is to the north of you. You think it's kind of some kind of bunch of Eskimos live up there and igloos. But anyway, there is ten provinces stretched across north of Can- of United States, and it's called the Canadian provinces. And so we were living in Lethbridge, Alberta, which is just north of Montana, Billings, Montana, Great Falls, Montana. And uh, I was not home that particular day or is in town or somewhere, and the phone rang. My wife answered the phone. And somebody on the phone, a man on the phone, he said to her, is this Mrs. Kember? And she said, yes. And he says, I don't know if you'll remember me or not, but my name is Charlie Gibbons. And she's thinking, Charlie Gibbons, Charlie Charlie Gibbons. Yeah. Charlie Gibbons was our son's best friend. We have three daughters. And our son was the youngest. And our son was killed when he was almost 14. And after he died, Charlie Gibbons and he were bosom buddies at school. And Charlie lived up the road from us. They farmed up the road. We didn't farm. We just lived in a house in the country. And uh, at the funeral, Charlie and the uh, fellow classmates were the honorary pallbearers. They carried the flowers ahead of the casket into the cemetery. And... uh, Then, after the funeral was all done, Charlie would stop by to see us occasionally, but the girls went on with their life, and and, uh, after maybe six months, we didn't see Charlie much anymore, and I'll be honest with you, I forgot all about Charlie. I maybe thought of him once in a blue moon, but I forgot about him. But, you know, unbeknownst to us, Charlie never forgot about us. And Charlie is now 25 years old in 2003. Because it was 1992 when he was almost 14, the same age as our son, when our son was killed. And so Charlie now, in 2003, is 25. He's working in Toronto, in the Toronto Dominion Center, and computer stuff down there. And uh, I forget whether it was Desert Storm or whatever it was, some war the Americans were having, and you're always having wars over here. And uh, and Charlie was concerned. In fact, Charlie was troubled. And he was in the lunchroom at the office where he worked, standing by the coffee, getting himself a cup of coffee. And uh, was talking to another man. And the man said to him, and talking about all the problems going on in the world, and he could see that Charlie was troubled. He said to Charlie, he says, uh, tell me something, Charlie. Do you think it's possible to have peace? In this world. And Charlie told us later. He said. Standing there in a moment. It flashed through my mind. A funeral. He said I knew there was sorrow. He said I saw Lydia and Lisa and Zania. And I knew the Jeffrey's brothers. uh, Sisters. And he said I knew there was sorrow. But he said I saw a peace. That I had not seen at my grandmother's funeral. Just a few weeks earlier. So I saw a peace that they had. Those people had something that our family didn't have. He said, I really didn't know what it was at all. But he said, all this flashed through my mind standing in that coffee room. And he said, I said to that man, yes, I think it's possible to have peace 
in this world. He said, that man talked to me that day about Jesus, the one who came into the world to give peace in a troubled world. And he said, I started having Bible studies with that man. And he said, and a couple other people too, in this home where he had Bible studies in the city of Toronto. And he said, I'm calling you now, Mrs. Kember, to tell you that I just got saved a few nights ago. And he said, I just had to call and tell you. In fact, he said, I had to phone around and find your phone number, find where you had moved, and and because uh, we had moved 2,000 miles east. And he said, I just wanted to, to call and tell you people. And he said, I just wanted it to, to know. That summer we were in Ontario, so I phoned Charlie. I said, Charlie, could we meet for lunch? And so we met him at the Toronto Dominion Center. He said, meet me under the clock in the Toronto Dominion Tower down in the lobby. And we were there at 12 o'clock. Elevator door opens, crowds of people, and I saw a red-haired, tall fella step out of the elevator. Hadn't seen him in 11 years, but I knew it was Charlie Gibbons. And he'd come over. We had a great time. He says, you know, when Jeffrey died, after he died, I used to go ride my bike up to the cemetery. And he said, I'd just sit at that cemetery plot. And he said, I'd just cry. I thought, is this all there is to life? Is this all there is to live and die? And, then, and he said, there was times I was so fed up with life. And I was just 14 years old. And he said it was like that from the time I was 14 until I was 25. And now he says, I know that I have eternal life. And he said, I have the peace of God that passes understanding. And sitting in a little restaurant in the Toronto Dominion Center in Toronto, Ontario, Charlie, with joy in his his eyes and yet tears running down his face, told us how he knew for sure that he was going to be in heaven at the end of life. I'll tell you something. That's what life is all about. It's the only thing worthwhile in life, and you can know that you have eternal life.